If you could take your seats, we're going to get started. You can be opening your Bibles to the book of James, James chapter 1. We'll be in James chapter 1 this morning. Uh, we, we have a guest speaker, uh, Tim Shorey, and uh, if you don't know if you're, me, if you're a guest, welcome. We're glad to have you with us this morning. My name is Paul Buckley, and I'm one of the pastors here, um, and we're glad you're here. And I apologize if you came to hear me or Pastor Jeff speak, but we get a special treat in hearing Pastor Tim Shorey speak. Tim and his wife, Gaylene, are from this area. Tim actually uh, grew up his high school years in Merrimack, uh, Mass., so just one town over, and Gaylene's from Maine. Uh, but when they were young, they went to Bible college in New Jersey and went to, uh, for Tim to pastor a church down there. And actually, it's, um, it's Tom's River, New Jersey, in Ocean County. And uh, so he, they, they were in their early 20s, and Tim and Galen went to that church around 23, and then pastored and led that church for 30 years. Uh, so they just finished uh, roughly 30 years, and, and right now uh, they are on a year of sabbatical. And I am really excited to have you enjoy Tim uh, as he brings God's word. Uh, uh, he's an excellent preacher, handles the word of God uh, in a God-honoring, uh, fruitful way. I think you'll see that very quickly. But also behind that, behind his gift of preaching and teaching is his life example. Uh, and it would take some time for you to get to know Tim and hear and, and get to know Tim and Gaylene and just see the quality of people that they are. Uh, I, I I know Tim might be uncomfortable with me in saying this, but one example is uh, Tim has had a headache for the past 23 years. Uh, he got from a viral meningitis, and you just would not know the impact of a, of a, a level six or seven pain headache uh, as this man's just been faithful and fruitful and just has exhibited godly character. So uh, I'm just excited again to have him bring us the word and uh, teach from the word and to have his example as well. So let's welcome Tim up as he brings us God's word. Well, it is wonderful to be here, and yes, I uh, spent my high school years in Merrimack, went to Pentucket Regional High School, uh, graduated in 76, and uh, one of the joys I have as I think about uh, Paul and Peggy and the work that's going on here is that this is my old stomping grounds, and, and I know the condition of New England spiritually, and to see this right here and to hear what God is doing is joy that I can't even begin to express. So uh, to have a chance to be with you and to serve you in this way is a privilege. And uh, so will you join with me in the privilege of hearing God's word? Uh, and as your Bibles are open to James chapter 1, please follow as I read beginning in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Father, it is a humbling privilege to hear your word read, to worship you by simply opening our ears to the sound of your words. It is a humbling privilege to have ears to hear and eyes to see wondrous things from your word. It is a humbling privilege to be gathered as your people, to be your house where you dwell and where you have promised to walk among us and to talk to us through the ministry of your word. Father, everything about our life as Christians is a humbling privilege. And so we thank you. And because we know we have already been privileged and already blessed and already abundantly showered upon by your mercies, that we are confident to ask for even more mercy, that you would, in your mercy and kindness, speak to us with a clear voice this morning. Help us to hear, help us to do, help us to respond, help us to believe, help us to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the life lessons that we learn along the way is that perception and reality very often do not meet up that our perception of things, our view of things, including ourselves, uh, does not conform to reality. And one of the things we enjoy as parents and grandparents is watching how this is true with children, how they have a perception of things that uh, in time they learn, oh, that's not really the way it is. Uh, we We have nine grandchildren, which is sweet indeed. Uh, And one of the things that we observed in one of our grandsons recently was this, that his perception of reality is far removed from reality. His mom and dad, our oldest son and his wife, have concocted this scheme as to how to keep him in bed longer at nap time. 
What they promise to him is that if he will stay in bed until the appointed time, they will give him one, one M&M. Not a bag, not a fistful, not one fistful, not one of each color, but one M&M. And this boy thinks... He perceives that he is experiencing an extraordinary kindness from his mom and dad. I'm sure he writes in his journal at night, Oh, the wonder of my mother and father. The, the, how blessed I am to have such parents as these. Behold, they, they gave me another M&M today simply for staying in bed for an extra 15 minutes. The kids view And perception of reality is nowhere near reality. You have not eaten M&M's if you've had one. (laughs) There's nothing real about that. That is a fake experience. The the real experience is is more like a bag. He he has to live 18 years doing that to get a bag full of an M&M. It's just not real. It's, it, but his perception is, this is wonderful. This is a treat. My mom and dad are aboundingly generous in my direction. His perception and reality do not meet. How real are you? Does, does the perception you have of yourself and the perception that others have of you really conform to reality? Thomas Watson, the Puritan, one of the great worthy Puritans, once wrote these, these striking, searching words, a simple statement. He said, a mark of a godly man is that he is what he seems to be. A mark of a godly man is that he is what he seems to be. In the Bible, God really cares about what is real versus what is phony, what is genuine versus what is counterfeit, what is authentic and true versus what is false, what is reality versus what is deception, what is sincerity versus what is hypocrisy. And Judgment Day is going to be the ultimate reality check. On Judgment Day, the reality of who we are is going to be exposed. And and if you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, you want on that day for God to be able to say of you, you are what you seem to be. The reality matches the perception and the appearance. The book of James is fundamentally concerned with a reality check. Is your religion real, pure, and undefiled religion is this? Is your hearing of God's word real? Not just hearing, but doing. Is your faith real? Chapter 3. Not just saying you believe, but having works to demonstrate it. Is your wisdom real? Not the wisdom that comes from below, but the wisdom that comes from above. Is your humility real? 
real. These are the things that James is concerned about. These are the things that God is concerned about. These are the things we need to be concerned about. Are we real? Are we what we seem to be? Now, one of those areas is in the hearing of God's Word. Are we really hearing God's Word? Do we we truly hear God when He speaks to us through the Scriptures and when He speaks to us specifically through the preaching of the Word of God? You all look like you're listening right now. You all look like you're hearing, but are you really? With any kind of biblical definition, to hearing. I mean, if you look around right now, it looks good. You're sitting there reasonably polite. Your Bibles are open. Most of your eyes are open. Your, your heads are turned in my direction. Some of you are taking notes. And during the course of this message, you will, many of you will, at some point or other, engage in what Andy Stanley calls the Christian moo. You'll go, hmm. Mm. Mm. And it will look, and it will sound, and it will seem like you're listening. But are you really? James is concerned about the real hearing of God's Word. He is concerned that every time we have a chance to listen to a sermon, because that's what we're going to see in just a moment, what James is talking about in James chapter 1. He's, he's talking about listening to sermons that are preached. He is concerned that every time we have a chance to listen to a sermon, we hear it with real, deep, authentic seriousness, the kind of seriousness and anticipation that it is due because it is the Word of God. And maybe that's where we need to start here. Let's make sure we view this book in the same way that James views this book. Just just notice with me, if you would, how he describes this book. Book. Notice the words and phrases he uses to describe it. In verse 18, he says, Of his, that is God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That is an impressive title for the Bible. It is the word of truth, not of opinion, not of ideas, not of perspectives, not of perceptions. It is the word of truth. Things as they really are as defined by God. The word of truth. Or if you look at verse 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Or the inrooted word. What he's talking about here is that the Bible is like this living seed that gets planted within us. And as it, as it takes root within us, it, it has life in it. And it, has, it has power in it. And it has a life force in it. And it bears fruit in our lives. That's what this is. The living, abiding word of truth. The implanted word. Or notice what he says in verse 25, what he calls it, the one who looks into the perfect law, the perfect law, the law of liberty. In referring to the Bible, James says it is, it is a law. That means it is an absolute authoritative declaration from God, and it is a perfect law. It is a complete 
infallible, inerrant, absolute declaration of authority from God. And it is a perfect law of liberty. It is this absolute, perfect, infallible, authoritative word from God that sets you free. This, this is the book here. This is the word that he has in mind. Many Christians I know of turn to James 1, be swift to hear and slow to speak, and they apply that to their relationships. This is how we ought to interact with each other and communicate with each other. And I guess maybe there's a secondary or whatever application there, but that's not what James is talking about here. He's talking about the word of truth. He's talking about the implanted word. He is talking about this book right here. And he's saying that we are to hear this because it is the word of truth, because it is the implanted word that is when rooted in your soul bears fruit in your life. He is saying we need to listen to God's word. Now, maybe that's where we just need to start. Some of you may be here this morning and you... You just, you just know, you know what? You're just not convinced that it is the word of truth. You're not convinced this is the, the law of liberty. You, you think it's the law of bondage. You think it's the law of slavery. Uh, you're not convinced that this is God's word. And, and I know there are people here who'd love the opportunity to just sit down and talk with you about that. But, you know, one of the advantages of getting a bit older is that the longer I study this book and look at this book and learn from this book, the more it is self-evidently the Word of God. The more it, you know, you know if, you wanna, if you wanna prove to somebody that there is a sun, you don't have to go into long scientific discussions on why there is a sun. Just tell them to look up. And I would suggest to you, if you wanna have it proven to your soul that this is the Word of God, I could give you all kinds of arguments and all kinds of reasons that are real, that are valid, that are legitimate, but just look at it, you'll see it's the the Word of God. Just read it and study it, and it will ring true to your heart if God is working in your life. It is the Word of truth. And if you're not a Christian here today, then I just want to encourage you to, to just, just realize, here's a glorious thought, here's an astonishing thought for a generation like ours that is walking in the dark, that is clueless and aimless, that has this sense of what in the world is it all about? There is a clue, there is an answer, there is light, there is truth, and it's in this book, and open the book and look up to God and say, God, You can say this, whoever you are and wherever you are, show me the light and show me the truth, and he will, because he loves to answer that question, that prayer. It's here. It's for us. It's a word of truth. Now, the question is, how do we hear it? How do we hear it? And what I want to do this morning in our time is very quickly work through two motivations for the right hearing of God's word. And then a little bit of on the source of right hearing. How, where does it come from? And then three steps on how to hear God's word rightly. So motivation, source, and steps are 
the direction that we're going in. So first of all, motivations. You want to be motivated to hear God's word, right? When you come on Sunday morning to hear a sermon from your pastor or someone that your pastor has, has delegated the responsibility to teach the word of God, what, what should motivate you? Why should you come motivated to hear from God? James gives us at least two answers. One of them is in verse 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, listen to this, which is able to save your souls. The word of God as it is preached and then empowered and enlivened, if you will, by the Holy Spirit of God, saves souls. It is, the Sunday sermon is a rescue operation. What goes on here on Sunday mornings each week through the, the ministry of this dear brother and others is a, a weekly rescue operation. For those of you who are still lost in your sins, those of you who are still on your way to hell, those of you who do not know what it is to be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ, believe me, what you here, here on Sundays is a rescue operation. It is God throwing to you the life preserver you need. It is God throwing you a rope and saying, don't plunge into hell. Grab on. Grab on and be saved by grabbing on to Jesus. That's a rescue operation. But you, 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 most of you are believers here and, and you say, well, how does it save my soul? Well, you're walking in perpetual danger. All of life in a fallen and broken world is a perilous journey. It's a dangerous journey. And there are, there are dangers, toils, and snares every which way you turn. And there are temptations from the world and there are temptations from your own heart. And there are pronenesses to wander and to, to drift away from God and there's all kinds of junk and garbage that's in our souls and in our world and, and with our neighbors and in our marriages and everywhere. There is danger everywhere. Every sermon that you hear in this place is God throwing you a rope. It's God saying, here's something to save your soul from the peril that it's in. The preaching of the Word of God is a salvation exercise. Not, you know this if you know the gospel. I'm not saying that, that Paul's preaching here on Sundays is going to justify your soul or rescue your soul from hell in the way that Jesus rescued you from hell and the righteousness of Christ alone can justify your soul. You know I'm not saying that. But I am saying this, that God uses as a means, a tool to accomplish faith in your life and restoration and rescue in your life. He uses his word as it's preached. It is able to save your soul. Suddenly that elevates the significance of the Sunday activity, doesn't it? It turns what goes on here into a massively important event. I would suggest to you it is the most important event. I think I could build that case biblically. The most important event in your life on a weekly basis is what you do in this place as God's gathered people in worship before God, in fellowship with each other, and in hearing the word of God preached in your life. It'll save your soul, but not only that. Secondly, second motivation, it will bless your life. Notice verse, verse 25. 
The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So you want to be blessed? You know what that means. You want to be filled up with all of the joys and the blessings of God. Do you you want to experience God's very best? That doesn't mean prosperity, health, and wealth. But the deepest and the purest and the sweetest and the tenderest of God's blessings in your life as a person, as a family, as a church, then be a person who hungrily hears the Word of God and responds to it rightly with true hearing, and you will be blessed in what you do. I, I said it earlier, I say it again, I, I, I cannot, my dad was a pastor in Merrimack for eight years back in the 1970s at what was then the First Baptist Church of Merrimack, that big white church-looking building in Merrimack Square was where my dad was pastor before it was turned into a couple of shops of some sort, I'm afraid. I remember being here, and I remember the barrenness and the hardness of the soil and the, the labor my dad poured in, and, and uh, with not a lot of fruit, at least visible, um, to hear that God is blessing in this area to hear that God is blessing this church, to hear that God is blessing others through this church, to hear that there's, there's talk of church plants and the spreading and the advancing of the gospel through this church into other parts of this region is, is just an incredible joy. It's just, it's just an astonishing delight to my heart. But may it be that you will be blessed even more, that you might be an even greater blessing to others. How's that going to happen? You need to commit individually and as a congregation to the faithful, right, true hearing of God's Word. This is how you'll be blessed in your doing. This is how you'll be blessed in your life. The right hearing of God's Word will save your souls and it will bless your life. I would suggest those are two powerful motivations to hear God's word right. Now, let's move to the source, the source of right hearing. And, and this is a truth that you need to gra- grab hold of. You need to make sure it grabs hold of you or else you'll be discouraged in your efforts to hear God's word. What is the source of right hearing? Well, the source is God. If you look at verses 16 through 18, you'll see that Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Notice it. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. It is of his will that he brought us forth. That's referring to regeneration, to your new birth, to the fact that you were You received a new heart and a new life in Jesus Christ. And James is saying to us that these gifts of of every good gift, but specifically the gift of your salvation, the gift of your new heart, your new life, your regenerated spirit is a gift from God. And the right hearing of God's word flows out of that gift. You cannot hear if you're still dead. 
You hear the voice of God. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. How, Lord, do they hear your voice? Because we read other places in Scripture that we are dead in trespasses and sins. Well, they hear my voice because when my word enters their ear, it enters with power and it enters with life and it transforms them and it brings them forth into a new experience, a new life in me. And with that new life, they hear and this is so important because you're going you're gonna to be, if you, if you try to hear God's word in your own strength, if you try to hear God's word by your own effort, just saying, okay, somehow or other, I've got to make this happen, and you're not relying on the gift and the grace of God to do this, you will be quickly discouraged because it's hard work to really hear God's word. It demands great effort. In fact, I would suggest it takes just as much effort to hear the Word of God as it does to preach the Word of God, and it should be the same amount of effort going into hearing as goes into preaching each week. And you can't do that in your own strength, but you can do that if the Father of lights above has given you a new heart and a new spirit and a new desire and a new hunger, and if He sustains that. Basically, what James is saying here is that before he talks about the right hearing of God's word, he wants to remind us that God in the gospel has done something wonderful in our life. He has given us a new heart. He wants us to, to hear this exhortation rooted on, in and based on the gospel. You're new creations in Christ. Don't be overwhelmed by this challenge to hear my word. Understand, I've already done a work in you that's making you willing and able to do what pleases me. And, and while we're on the gospel, understand that as you read my word and it becomes for you a mirror that reveals the sin and the dirtiness of your own heart and thereby increases your guilt, that is your awareness of guilt and your feelings of guilt. Understand, as your awareness of guilt increases, understand that I have already saved you, that you are already mine. Understand that you are already accepted and approved and loved in Christ. You, you, you are my born-again son or daughter. So, you know, James is a tough book. It's loaded with commandments. And imperatives. And, and there isn't a whole lot of explicit gospel in this text. It's kind of like an Old Testament prophecy. Boom. You know, come now, you rich. Be miserable and mourn and weep. You know, it's, <laughs> whoa. You know, uh, that can hit you hard. In one sense, it's supposed to. But it can devastate you if you're not standing firm in the gospel. If you're not knowing that you are already approved and accepted in Christ, a born-again child of God, James and all the books of the Bible will devastate you. There are, I, I didn't count them all, I counted a bunch of them. There are over 1,100 commandments in the New Testament. New Testament. That cover 800 different categories of life. That's the New Testament. If we don't hear those commandments in the light of the gospel, that we have been given new hearts and thereby the power to obey, and if we don't hear those commandments in the light of the gospel, that we have been pardoned of all of our sins, 
then those commandments are going to sink us, in the words of John Bunyan, lower than the grave into hell itself. But the gospel, I have a new heart in Christ, and I am accepted and approved in Christ, allows me to hear God's word with boldness and with confidence and with joy. And when it convicts me of sin, I can face that and I can process that and I can, I can work with that in the power of the gospel and the freedom of the gospel. It doesn't weigh me down, it sets me free. That's the source of right hearing. The motivations, it will save your soul, it will bless your life. The source is God, His grace in the gospel. And now quickly, let me run through the three steps of right hearing of God's word. And when I first preached on this text a couple of years ago in our church in Jersey, I had this wonderful, magnificent sermon outline all developed and and it was a Saturday night, and, and I, I made the huge mistake of pulling out a Charles Haddon Spurgeon sermon. <laughs> Saturday night. Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers back in the late 1800s, and uh, may well have, you know, certainly one of the top five, ten preachers in church history. And uh, stupid thing to do on a Saturday night as a preacher to, let me just see what Spurgeon has to say about this. And um, when I got done with it, I said, man, I got to use his outline now. If I love my people, I'm going to use his outline and not mine. And so that Saturday night, I reworked my message. Uh, And his outline's really simple. You know, the guy was brilliant, but this is, this, here's here's the outline. There's three steps to sermon hearing. There's something to do before the sermon, during the sermon, and after the sermon. All right, that's, that's the outline. Before, during, and after. Okay, what's the before part of it? What do we do before the sermon? Verse 21. Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Here's here's what you have to do before you hear a sermon, before you hear the preaching of God's word. You've got to put away the junk. You've got to confess before God the sins that are in your life. You've got to, in your heart, forsake them. It's not talking about perfection. It's not talking about being sinless. It simply is It's referring to having something of a clean slate before God. You come into the preaching of the Word of God, having confessed your sins and, and genuinely and sincerely wanting to be free from your sins. If you come into the preaching of God's word with a bad heart, you're going to think it's a bad sermon. But it's not the sermon that's bad, it's your heart that's bad. We've got to make effort on Saturday night and Sunday morning. One of the reasons why, I don't know how often you have communion, but one of the blessings of communion. In our church, we, we did it every week. One reason we did it every week was Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 to examine yourself. And what it does for those that are conscientious, it, it means every week on Sunday they've got to examine themselves before they come to the Lord's table. It means that at least on a weekly basis we're, we're cleaning house a little bit spiritually. But whether or not that's the case, 
James is telling us that we are to get rid of all filthiness. And, you know, he's not talking about you know, the absolute perversest, most perverse sins you can think of. He's, he's not, he's not, you know, he's just, you know, sin is dirty. Sin is filthy. Sin is, sin is ugly. Sin, sin affects your ability to hear. Your attitude coming in to preaching will determine what you get out of the preaching. Every time. Every time. The illustration that I never ceased to be amazed at was uh, I heard years ago from Dr. David Jeremiah, who years ago had cancer. And uh, this must be 20 years ago now that I heard about this. And while he... Uh, had the cancer treatments and all that were going, was going on and surrounding that, his, his broadcast went off the air. And then later on when he was in remission and getting back into ministry, they started up his, his radio broadcast again. And they started to get some letters into the ministry thanking Dr. Jeremiah for his ministry. And, and some of the letters coming in read like this. Dr. Jeremiah, thank you for your ministry. I have noted that since your cancer, your ministry and the preaching of the word has been more sensitive and more compassionate and more caring. I just, I just believe that God used the cancer to, to produce some, some wonderful grace in your life. The problem is that the sermons that were being played on the radio at that time were recordings of sermons that had been preached before the cancer. You see, what had changed was not the preacher. What had changed was the hearer. They had come into the hearing experience with a different attitude toward the preacher and toward the Word of God. Their attitude was open, it was sympathetic, it was eager, it was willing, it was humble, it was sensitive. Not because the man had preached, but because they, or changed, but because they had changed. The condition of your heart will determine the effectiveness and the fruitfulness of a sermon every time. That's not to say preachers don't preach bad sermons, we do. And it's not to say that there aren't times when preachers sin while preaching their sermons, for we do. But it is to say this, that if you go home mad at the end of a sermon, it's probably because you came in mad. It's probably because there was heart issue already present in your life. And I want to echo James' exhortation to you. Get rid of all filthiness. Get rid of the sin so that when you come in, you can receive the word with meekness. It's what you do before the sermon. Now, what do you do during the sermon? James gives us a couple of answers to that, verses 19 through 21. In verse 19, he tells us first that we are to be eager in receiving God's word. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, be eager to hear, hurry to hear. 
Kind of reminds you of the, the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness, with all eagerness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to see whether the things Paul said were true. Receive the word with eagerness. Be quick to hear. The, the, the Greek word literally means be fast, be in a hurry, be speedy to hear, real hearing can't wait to hear. It, it, it wants to hear. It is eager to hear. It's kind of like the, when, when uh, I was courting my bride-to-be way back in, way back, <laughs> way back. We used to bowl when Gaylene's from Maine, when she'd come down to visit us in Merrimack, me and Merrimack, we'd go to the academy lanes and go bowling, right? Wherever that was, we drove the other day. Um, but in between visits, there were letters. Back then, this was a long time ago, children, teenagers, we couldn't afford phone. Long distance calls were practically unheard of, at least in our house. So it had to be a letter. I'm telling you, I was not passive when the letter arrived. I was quick. I ran to the mailbox. I'm not, I did. I ran to the mailbox, and I ripped open the letter, and I just read. I was eager to hear from someone that I love. If we love God, and if we love His Word... And if we love his truth, and if we love his son, and if we love his gospel, and if we love his promises, and if we love his law, then we will be hungry to hear it proclaimed. Be quick to hear. James says, first of all, we are to be eager. Secondly, we are to be quiet. We are to be quiet. He says what? Be quick to hear and slow to speak. It was Larry King who said, and I don't think Larry King is a paragon of virtue by any stretch. But Larry King said once, I never learned anything while I was talking. And if we are quick to speak, and the idea here I think in the text is speak against and to, and to, to argue with and fight with and quibble with what we're hearing, then we're not going to hear. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Be quiet and submissive and responsive in the hearing of God's Word. And then third, James tells us to be slow to anger or to be non-reactive. Don't get angry with what you hear. He says in verse 21, we're to receive the Word with what? With meekness. Meekness is a gentleness of spirit. It's, it's a spirit that, that, that receives with, without fighting back. You ever find yourself fighting with the sermon? You ever feel yourself getting mad? You know, look, unless, unless, unless the pastor is obviously intentionally mishandling the Word of God, and unless the pastor is obviously and intentionally being insensitive 
and, and imbalanced. And unless the pastor is obviously and intentionally sinning in his preaching, you have no right to get angry. God is calling you to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Receive it with gentleness. I don't know how many times through the 30 years of ministry I've had people say to me, Tim, when you said that, I was so mad. But then I got home and I thought about it and I realized that what you were saying was true to God's word. Never trust your first reactions. Be slow to wrath and anger. That's what you do during a sermon. You, you're eager you're quiet, you're non-reactive. You're hearing with an eager mind, with a humble heart, with a gentle spirit. You, you want to test what you hear, but you never want to be testy with it. You, you want to you be like the Bereans, search the Scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. Go ahead, go at it. Nothing will make your pastors rejoice more than to have you come to them and say, you said something in a message. I went home and I was searching the scriptures and it confuses me. What you said doesn't seem to match up with this. I guarantee you, your pastors will thrill over your question because you're using your minds given to you by God and enlightened by the Spirit of God to search the Word of God. Test what you hear, but don't be testy. Don't be argumentative. Don't be a quibbler. Don't be a fighter. Be a gentle man, woman, young person, child, and understand that if you do get angry, verses 19 and 20 says that it will stunt your spiritual growth. Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. What James is saying here is that if, if you don't respond right, or if you respond wrong in anger, you know, you're just not going to bear all the righteous fruit that God wants in your life. You're going to be spiritually stunted. Because you're always fighting with God's word rather than receiving God's word, which is able to save your soul and bless your life. So... What do you do before the sermon? You get rid of the junk, the filthiness. What do you do during the sermon? You receive it eagerly and quietly and non-reactively. Now, what do you do after the sermon? Verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. This is the correct reading of this text not what we heard earlier, uh, ju just teasing my brother there a bit. I think it's the first time in church that I've actually heard laughter during prayer on a Sunday morning. But it was it, it just, you know, how funny the weird and the mind works sometimes. What does it say? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. James is saying that after the sermon is done, there's a lot of work to be done. The sermon's not done until the sermon is done. Until it's lived. Be doers of the word. Examine the word doer. What does a doer do? He does. He does. There's action. There's motion. There's, there's doing. Be hearers, not hearers only. 
but doers of the word. And that doing is described and outlined in verses 23 through 25 as James uses this, this analogy of a man looking in a mirror and he's basically telling us, don't do what this guy does. All right? What is it? What is it? You know, a guy that, a person who hears the word and doesn't do the word is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Don't be like that when you hear the word of God preached. As, as the mirror gets held up in front of your face and you see yourself for who you really are, don't walk away from that and forget what you have seen. Keep it in mind. I mean, there are times when, when I so ignore this text of Scripture and teaching of Scripture that I forget what I preach within 24 hours. I'm not lying, I have. Because our minds are like sieves, the, 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 the truth just, just goes right on through. And, and, and we, we're like you know, the first seed that falls on the pathway and the devil just snatches it up before, before it ever has any opportunity to sink into our souls. We, we forget and James says, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. What you hear, do everything you have to do to remember what you've heard, to at least remember it long enough that it can become part of your life. Remember it, gaze into it, see yourself for who you are in light of the word of God, and then do something with it. Verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he does. A true hearer doesn't forget. He, he thinks about, and he processes, and he perseveres in what he hears, and he does what he God has told him to do. He believes what God has told him to believe. He rejoices in what God has told him to rejoice in. He embraces the promises that God has given to him in the sermon. He, he, he hears it and he doesn't forget it and he takes it in and he absorbs it and she, he think about how this impacts life. And then they go on their way, a changed man, a changed woman, a changed young person, a changed child, because they have encountered God through his word. And they've heard God speak. And, and the end result of it is, is described later on here. It'll bridle your tongue. It'll, it'll change the way you talk. If you've got real religion, real hearing, it'll, it'll bridle your tongue. It'll, it'll affect the way you look at the hurting and the needy in life. You'll, you'll care for widows and orphans in their distress. You'll do something about that. It'll affect your interaction with the world. You will be unstained by the world. If you are rightly hearing God's word, it'll affect the way you talk. It'll affect the way you react and respond to people in need. It will affect your resistance to the world and its effect on your life. We haven't really heard God's word until we have really and deliberately applied what we have heard to the way that we talk and the way that we walk and the way that we believe and the way we respond to sufferings and trials and hardships and persecutions and afflictions. So wrapping this up, what do you do before the sermon? Get rid of all filthiness. What do you do during the sermon? Be swift to hear, eager to hear. Be slow to speak. Be 
slow to wrath. What do you do after the sermon? You do whatever it takes to make sure that what you've heard becomes a part of how you live your life. And can I just leave you with this? this um, these, are, these are three questions that have helped me in the application process. Just very simple questions. What, so what, and now what? What? What did I learn in the sermon this morning? Or what did I relearn? And folks, if you want to not forget, if you want to remember, good Sunday afternoon, evening exercise, get out a notebook, your sermon journal, and just review, answer the question, what? What did I learn in the message this morning? What did you learn in this morning's message? You learned that the Bible is the word of truth and the perfect law, the law of liberty. That all by itself was enough to learn. All right? Just write that down. I learned that the Bible is the word of truth. Then you ask the question, so what? What difference does it make? What difference should it make in my life? What, what difference should it make that the Bible is the word of truth? It'd be fun to kind of take the time and get some answers for that. I think some things are coming to your mind, right? It should mean that I take it more seriously. It should mean that I give it more time. It should mean that when it speaks, I listen. It should mean that I'm more diligent in reading my Bible and I'm more careful in hearing the Bible preach. It should, you know, this is the so what part of it. This is, this, is, this is the implication of it for your life. What did you learn? First question. So what? What difference does it make? And then third question, now what? What am I going to do with it right now? What's my application for this day, for this week, of the message that I heard this Sunday? If you're a husband and a father, you may want from time to time to lead your wife and your children in this exercise. What did we learn this morning in the sermon? What difference? So what? What difference does it make? Now what? What are we going to do with this? Lead your family into a deeper hearing of the Word of God. Guess what? It will save your souls and it will bless your lives. The man is blessed, the woman is blessed, the family is blessed, the church is blessed. It hears the word of truth, really hears the word of truth. May God bless you all. May God bless this church. May the fruitfulness that has begun here increase and abound and spill over into all of New England and beyond. Uh, but it will only happen. It will only happen. It will only happen as those who lead you are faithful in preaching the Word of God and as you are faithful in hearing the Word of God. Otherwise, the barrenness will return. Sadness will abound. But I believe better things of what God intends to do with you here. Let's pray.
Thank you, Lord, for an amazing word, a life-giving, soul-saving, church and family blessing word. May the fruit of it abound in these lives, in all the families that are represented here, every life represented. And may it abound and be fruitful in this place for decades to come until Jesus returns. In whose name we pray.